Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Lee Barnes, the CTO of a company called Eight. Here, he is leading the tech-making Shopify themes and apps with the mission to make Shopify merchants more successful at selling. On this episode, Lee and I discuss what makes a strong Shopify theme, how and why more companies are going async, what's changed in digital design and software design through his 24 years of experience, and much more. Here's our interview now. Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, it's awesome to be here. We're very happy to have you. So, you know, first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, Eight? Sure. So, Eight, we're a pure play product company. We work uh, within the Shopify ecosystem, been in it for um, yeah, just over a decade at this point, uh, working primarily in themes and apps. Uh, we're not directly on uh, the merchant side, but we, we're very focused on the digital products within the theme side and then SaaS within the apps, uh, apps ecosystem. No, that's awesome. Very succinct. As far as your position as the CTO, what are your specific responsibilities at the company? I mean, we're a relatively small, tight-knit and agile company. So um, my responsibilities do vary quite drastically, but it's it's mostly anything within the, the technical proviso of it. So our development, development cycles, working with our development teams, making final calls on, on anything that's sort of structural or strategic, and then everything into our infrastructure and scaling servers, server infrastructure, DevOps, and then policy policy level stuff, you know, cyber and and, and sex, sex side as well. Policy stuff too. Cool. So eight essentially builds itself as a company that builds and develops products for global merchants with an emphasis on Shopify. I think that's like the exact verbatim that I found. And honestly, while, while I think it's kind of, kind of cool, when I go to like, we are eight.com, it's kind of cryptic and it's kind of like branded and it's clean and I don't mean that to denigrate in any way, but I think there's a clear objective to be sleek. And and I like the word that you used, and that's agile. So I'm curious, you know, off the bat, what the idea there is. Is that kind of intentional to be mysterious? You got to hit us up to to find out what we do type of thing or or, or or, or how did you develop kind of that brand identity a little bit? I think it's, it's multi-pronged in this case. Number one, it's anybody that works within sort of digital may not have time to actually get their website fully dialed out or, you know, have all of the marketing material in, in and on it. We're all busy. We're all, you know, slamming stuff in the background to get things done. So I think that's one one aspect of it. But eight historically has been quite a sort of transparent company. You know, we, we're not front and center. We're not we're not dealing with merchants. We're not trying to get our branding into people people's faces. You know, the themes are designed that somebody puts their brand on top of them. You know, the, the company started as a theme company originally, um, long before my time. Yes, we work in apps, but I think there is that layer of transparency and a little bit of mysteriousness around it, which is kind of our thought process of not saying too much, but you know, if somebody reaches out and we're discussing something with them, then we can tell them who we are, what we do, and where we've been. That's a very transparent answer. It's it's like, you know, show don't tell is kind of what, what I hear you say is what's important. What are some of the specific products that eight develops? You mentioned, you know, software, themes. What else are we talking about specifically? We fall specifically into two two categories within the Shopify ecosystem. And it's not just that we're aligned with it, we're we're all in on it. So themes is uh, obviously a Shopify theme interface to get somebody up and running as quickly as possible that, you know, sold through the Shopify theme store. Uh, we've got six on there that range the whole way back to like 2012. 
So, you know, I think Envy was Envy was the first one. Those are very much a, a single purchase. It's a starting point for a new merchant, somebody that's getting up and going. Premium themes within the theme ecosystem really give you more features than a basic one. But they also give you lifetime support, which a lot of people doesn't don't really like talk about. So we've got that aspect of it. It's both building a product that scales for all users, unlike agency type work where you're really focusing on one person's specific needs. Themes are, are, are very complex from, from that standpoint point and take fair amounts of overhead and then obviously the support side of of maintaining good support for you know merchants as they grow and as they uh, extend beyond it and then on the software side the sort of flagship app within within the company is bundle builder which is a uh, custom bundling or pick and mix focused app so we're not talking about your quick upsell uh these three products are sold quickly together and this is much more of the choose what you want, add a whole bunch of um, layers around discounting or specific conditions. You have to have one of these. You don't have to want to have one of those or the conditional aspects of it. And that app is, yeah, it's about six, just under six years old. I think it was six years old at this point. Been in the ecosystem for, yeah, for all of that time is a bit of a behemoth because, you know, Shopify is obviously starting to catch up with a lot of the the sort of, you know, the new APIs that have come out over the years. But we really went out there to target and focus on niches with that, which is, you know, it, it's a relatively complex beast in the background as far as server infrastructure, you know, um, just stock syncing, for instance, you know, uh, infrastructure that goes into Black Friday, over 50, 59 million odd webhooks. So requests coming inbound on the servers on that day. So you're dealing with a lot of the 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 stuff which people don't think about when they're talking about like an app. This app's just, you know, I just install it and it does this thing, but actually it's all of the background. So that's our sort of software engineering side is is both into how that happens and then also the infrastructure and, and stability for, for merchants to be successful. So yeah, we, we fall into those two categories primarily. So it's just themes uh, and then apps. Uh, we don't really bridge into the, uh, the sort of expert or agency space at all. We work uh, relatively transparent behind DTC, so direct to the merchants or, um, or through agencies. I think you mentioned something that is extremely valuable. And I talk with a lot of agencies, I talk with a lot of software companies, and you mentioned that what's different is an agency has to cater to one person specifically. But when you're developing a theme or, you know, bundle builder, you're trying to develop the stuff that is all encompassing, that is easy to use. And what I kind of hear you say, Lee, is anticipate problems that will arise. You know, you you can't just go straight to one client who's got this one problem. You need to try to anticipate what tens of thousands minimum people are going to have problems with. How do you how do you do that? I mean it, it's so complex. Obviously I come from sort of agency space behind behind a lot of this. So you know I've worked with a lot of the merchants. I've had that request of can't you just and at an agency level, you just focus on that specific goal and getting it out the door. And sometimes that comes with you going back to, to the merchant and saying, hey, listen, we can get to that goal exactly. It is going to leave this gap. But ultimately, I can get you to what you need to be. I think one of the things that was quite surprising to me when I stepped into the, into the theme side and, and looking at the complexity of it was just how much overhead goes into thinking about those 10,000 users. Because that one feature that is not just this is the specific goal, it's like this is the overarching goal, we're going to get you close to it. 
if you really wanted to do exactly what you wanted, what you wanted would probably break all of these other merchants next to you. And not to cut you off, but it's it's very normal for a solution to bring another problem. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a bug, it's a feature. You know, when, when I entered into this space, I almost came from sort of custom theme builds and, and hundreds of them and suddenly went, do you know what? Building a theme that's going to go out as a product is probably 10 times harder than working with the most difficult merchant I've ever worked with because you do have to take every single aspect into uh, into account. You're not dealing with a small marketing team that you can train one-on-one. You're dealing with, you know, really thinking about the UX of what should we be putting here? How much control should we be doing? Where should that support, where should that control be? And then what support debt will that generate? What's going to break? What somebody, you know, somebody may set something or configure something that actually is detrimental to their business. We, we, we have to think through all of those different layers. And I think that was a very, very stark contrast, which I always thought themes are the themes of theme because I've built hundreds of them. But the moment you get down to the nuts and bolts of this actually has to go as a product, there's all of those aspects and all of those layers that suddenly become really front and center on it. And the way people use it can be very unique and individualistic. And, and the way that I use, you mentioned your envy theme to, to do something specifically for me and my business would be very different than, than what you could. So trying to anticipate every version of every hypothetical has got to be, you know, kind of taxing, not all for not. You're only going to get closer and closer, but probably never get perfect because that's why people have customer support teams and the like. I'm interested in, do you do some like different testings for these themes and, and, and kind of put them out in the world before you start selling them so people can, you know, run with it and be like, oh, well, I wanted it to do this and, and it can't. I mean, we obviously take in feedback. And we, we do a lot of the, the support layer stuff, which is reactive. We've been moving towards more of a proactive approach where we are actually doing reach out, speaking to people, looking at, at folks that, that are within it. One of the limitations to that is, is the Shopify sort of theming ecosystem is that you have to sell through the Shopify store. So the only feedback that we could really get that's before somebody purchases it is if they've got it on a trial directly through the Shopify store. And, you know, so we are moving to more and more more of those approaches and getting a bit creative around them. But a lot of the time, it's actually just thrashing it from a QA standpoint, putting it into the hands of individuals on our teams who haven't built a store and going, how do you build a store? And sort of refining through that process, it's, it is relatively closed in. Um, and we're trying to look at, at creative ways to expand that out. That's cool. I mean, you, you can kind of guarantee you're getting honest feedback. I feel like you're more likely to get honest feedback internally sometimes. Moving on to the general product development process, um, especially for something like, you know, Bundle Builder. What what does that look like? What is that development process for these products that you work on looks like? There's a massive difference between themes and apps there. Within sort of apps, a, a new build app is a different process altogether to something that's that's got thousands of users that are using it daily so within our within our case here our general development process starts with discussions so and it will normally be feature level i'm going to talk feature level rather than new build i'll go back to new builds at the end because that's a different structure altogether but feature level will go into a discussion standpoint which goes out early to the entire team we try and get as much 360 degree input on everything so hey we need to change something surrounding what data we store or we need to change something that's going to change the display for everyone uh what where's this going to be an issue you know we want the the input from our support team going you know we're going to get support queries for that 
we're going we're gonna to be dealing with this. How are we going to mitigate it? What, what's the reason for it? And then we might have something coming in from the technical side of going, have we thought about X, Y, and Z? So it generally starts off at a discussion standpoint, then gets distilled down into uh, an issue or a ticket within our, within our system and within our team, which is generally the high-level acceptance criteria of what we're achieving and any of the caveats that we have out of that discussion. So we'll take and distill all of that information down into a, into a specific specification. And then from there, it's it's, it's into sort of requirements. Uh, we do sort of com- complexity mapping within the actual dev teams, within our UX teams, looking at what's going to be going in, what are the changes, where are they getting into, and then through a dev cycle after that. So, um, and that dev cycle might, touch on core code, backend code, um, admin app. Uh, obviously, with Shopify apps, you've got sort of three primary components, no matter how you build it. Basically, you have a backend that's going to be doing all the authenticated stuff, and then uh, your admin app, which is the one which the merchants are going to interact with. And then if, if you happen to have something which is touching storefronts, uh, a storefront app of some form, shape, or variety, or a storefront render. So we will generally split that up across our team based off that, that core spec. Uh, and then work that through into a release cycle. Dev of a brand new app from the ground up, it's choosing stack, it's choosing you know what infrastructure you're using, what are the infrastructure uh, sort of requirements that you're going to need in time as it scales, and then making all of those decisions early on. The vast majority of the first stages of an app build is identical, no matter who's building it, it's just choose a stack, get started, get it authenticating, and then it's down to feature level, which we've talked about. So that's our general cycle. And that's great, man. That's extremely specific. And 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 your role is to be that decisive one. I mean, I know if it's like most corporate structures, you know, the CEO has like final cut or really the final decision, but more often than not, they're just going to delegate to what your decision is because you're the expert in the technology sphere or technology sphere. What's that look like? Like we bounce ideas around. So Spence um, is CEO, me is CEO. CEO and then CEO um, is Lindsay Morgan. And between, you know, when it comes down to technical, Spence uh, is, is sort of a front-end developer. Uh, originally, he built the first themes. There's obviously a love uh, on that standpoint. When it comes down to technical, we try to use as much knowledge as we have across the team. I don't know everything. I have people on my team that are much better than me in specific areas. And that's why they're there and we trust them. So I think as as far as it goes, we'll, we'll often have the devil's advocate things of, should we go to that complexity level? Should we really push it that far and do six weeks? Or should we get it out, see what works, and then move forward from that? But we, we do just have that as a, a discussion and as an open approach across the company in general. That's how that looks. In general, really from both my side is is more on the decisive of actually this is what needs to be decided and this is what we're going to do and then on the 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 sort of polar side is both myself and Spence should really be filtering in ideas into the product flow of here's an idea or here's something that could be a goal that may make sense for us and then sort of leaving it to our product manager product management team uh, and then finally project and and distillation into into dev in the long run that's great it sounds extremely collaborative so in terms of the eight themes just to kind of circle back there the the design is to enhance performance and that's kind of how they're marketed is 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 these themes will enhance performance and get you better results and get you more and better product sales revenue in terms of the technical specifications what are those that that elevate the themes and garner results 
much more impressively than other ones. I mean, it's it's an interesting point because performance in e-commerce, whenever you speak to a developer, they're thinking straight performance. How fast is it? <laughs> How quick is it going to get on your plate? What will prevent you from calling customer support of, you know, the theme not often as possible? I, I think, you know, when when we sort of look at, at themes or as interfaces as a whole, you've got a balance between functionality and performance, expected UX. And I'm saying expected UX because I think that that's something which a lot of people kind of gloss over is that there's an expectation based on what somebody's done in their past. What websites have they interacted with? How did they find the product sets? There's that expectation or a a common pattern where you're not putting somebody on the back foot trying to find a product. And that kind of goes in as big performance aspects. If you're talking in pure e-commerce performance, that's getting somebody to the product, getting it into their cart and getting it out the door. From a technical standpoint, you've then got the, the layer below that is how quick is that? Where are the roadblocks? How fast is that page loading? How quick are those images in front of somebody? You know, that's seven seconds. Somebody's decided whether they're doing something or not on the, on the site. You know, I mean, Amazon probably with their, their sort of major push for page speed makes the biggest difference or Google's push for page speed makes the biggest difference brings two aspects into direct conflict. And that's how much content do you have on a page and how fast you want it. And I think that's a decision which a lot of merchants really need to make is like, do I want that extra image? Yes, that extra image is critical or not. You know, we can optimize for weeks on on code and code standards, but one extra video or one extra image on that page is going to slow it down more than than an optimization. We focus on getting everything as light as possible from a performance standpoint. We focus on the UX, the expected UX, and the flows that make sense um, from a sort of general industry standard and, and what's sort of coming in from conversion rate optimization experts, et cetera. But then um, it does finally come down to to the merchant pushing that performance forward and then deciding where their performance should best be. Is it just about page speed or is it about something else, telling the story, engaging people? That's great. And and, and what I'm hearing you say, Lee, is you got to kind of pick and choose your battles. You know, I mean, your responsibility is to the people who buy and use your themes. And even then, you don't want to make all the decisions for them. You know, you want to get... We just want to give them options. Yeah, you want to give them the the options, of course. And you also want to make it easier for their users to get products as quickly as possible. But you don't always want to like make that story for them, just the tools to... Just the vocabulary to make that story, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm much like Shopify themselves. We're just empowering entrepreneurs. We're, we're not telling their story for them. Otherwise, everything would be cookie-cutted, right? Oh, we that'd want be so boring. Would, yeah, it would be so boring. You know, we want we want somebody to push it off the, the left corner of the screen and go, wow, we never even thought you could do that. You know, that's that's what we really, I mean, that always excites me whenever I see an interface of a software. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They, they pushed that out and they did something there or they, whatever it is, you know, everyone tells their story and puts it front and center in, in, in different ways. And I think that's amazing. Absolutely. So you've worked with a pretty prestigious companies, at least when I looked at Build or, or Bundle Builder. Have you been able to make software prestigious enough for Bundle Builder to gain the attention of like Nintendo and Uts? I mean, those are companies that I, you know, being in America, are quite familiar with. Um, I, I see both of those everywhere. And I'm probably not alone in that just because I'm, I'm in America. How did that your stature get the attention of, of companies that large? I think Bundle Builder, and I, it's it's worth going back into sort of a bit of the, the spool up and understanding a bit of the Shopify ecosystem is Bundle Builder filled 
filled a need for many years the shopify when the shopify app uh, ecosystem sort of first started it was all about filling gaps within within what shopify wasn't covering gets people to search for 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 who we are what we do um you know bundle builder specifically um really caters to and it's it's key selling points on somebody is probably going to shout at me about this one but it's key selling points is really the control that it it gives you from a merchant standpoint in terms of the conditions so what products can be sold together and how many do this does somebody have to have to purchase them and then the discounts that you can apply based on those conditions that that to me is one of the key selling points which bundle the hit really early on and that opens the doors for the likes of Nintendo to then do, hey, we're going to do this um, switch plus this plus that. And they can then optimize it to, hey, yeah, we've got enough profit in there to give those discounts. We don't have enough profit in that space to 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 push around it. And, and it, you know, Bundable really just fell into that gap. Yeah, we, we're stable. You know, our, our app infrastructure is substantially stable. As I said, you know, we, we had really peak times and our servers don't really even feel it. You know, we've pre-planned for it. Our team is sitting in the background going, hey, we're coming up to peak. Let's 10x our, our databases. We're not an app that's going to wait until the database goes down and then switch it. We, we're thinking of that. And I think when you mix all of that, a great fitting into a niche, fitting into specific key usages that somebody's looking for, and then backing it up with the with the stability, uh, with the support um, across the board is is the key. No, that's great. That's beautiful. I, I think that's really elegantly said. I was told ahead of the show that the company A has recently gone async internally. First off, do you mind educating me a little bit on on what that means? I mean, I hadn't heard it called async and I, I worked in a very similar environment in a long time a long time ago. But it, it tends it's become a, a bit of an industry term now, which is we all know what remote is. I think COVID pushed everyone into remote working, which is amazing. But there's one aspect beyond that where standard remote work, you still work a nine to five, you're still expected to be at your desk, you're expected to be available for for meetings, you're expected to be available for emergency calls or teams or whatever you're working on. And async fundamentally changes or is a, a shift, an expectation shift within the business where it's all about the results and there's flexibility that becomes with those results. So instead of expecting somebody to be at their desk, we're expecting them to fulfill what they said they're going to fill, fill within a specific time zone. And the flexibility to get there is completely on them. So if somebody doesn't want to be at their desk from nine to five, that's fine. If you prefer working at 3 a.m., which that's kind of my vibe, I'm, I'm normally the 3 a.m. person, right? There's no expectation that I need to be or if I'm, you know, I'm going to travel to States or Canada or, or, or something like that, it's pack a bag and go. Because as long as you're fulfilling the results that we as a company, and that's all of us in the company, believe in, that becomes the, the focus. I, I manage my own time. I become a manager of myself. And that is a change that we made across the company. So we've always been remote. We just took it to that next level where it, it is then the flexibility is there. There's no expectation of even being in a meeting or paying attention in the meeting. Everything's documented and we focus on getting things out the door and people taking taking their responsibility forward. So async as a whole and the way I view it, and I'm sure there's multiple viewpoints on this because it is being touted all over the show in different different mindsets, but to me, it's fundamentally remote, but then taking out the time constraints within a day and focusing those time constraints on generating results as a 
team, owning those results as a team and doing it in whichever way you're most efficient, you know, whether that is working at 3 a.m. I'll be honest, I've been working async at Debutify for six, seven months now. And I didn't know there was a word for it. I appreciate it and think it's really cool. I mean, what you're literally describing is is how we operate for full transparency. I think there are lots of companies that have worked in this space. I had and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've worked in a number of companies that, that work in this space. And I used to run a sort of international team where we used to just hand off work from one person to the next as we crossed out of time zones. And it was awesome. You know, it, it always just worked. And I think, I don't really know where the async term came from. I know there are a couple of really big, big entities that that have pushed the terminology. I think GitLab is one of them. And and there, there are another, a number of other ones. But yeah, that term of async and results driven is has become something front and center. No, that's great. And I'm glad you're a proponent of it because I I really enjoy it. I'm a big proponent of it too. It just gives people the the freedom of autonomy a lot more. And that is extremely confidence boosting. And when you give people certain parameters of like, just get the work done. They create their own environment. You know, sometimes I'll go to the library and work because I can't focus here. There are too many distractions sometimes. But, you know, Lee, you also mentioned something that I find really valuable. And that's, I am not like a normal work conditioner. I get probably most of my work done between maybe 12 and 4 a.m. If I'm being honest, the only scheduled things I have are are these interviews. And, and that keeps me disciplined of, all right, I got to make sure that I'm here at this time and so on, but I also have to be prepared for it. And I don't know, the, the, the async mentality definitely works for me. I'm glad that you're a proponent of it because I enjoy it as well. Do you see it as becoming the new normal moving forward? I don't know if it will be the new normal i think there, there are many in, in industries you know you've crossed you just crossed onto it where you were talking about there's something that's at a fixed time so i have to be there for that i have to be prepared if you think of sales customer services etc there's a lot of those industries where it becomes much more challenging because there is an expectation of somebody being synchronous with you when you're working in it in that space um, i also don't think that async is perfect for every for everyone there are there are some people that really struggle with it they struggle with the freedom, with with planning planning stuff around it. And I know sort of some folks that, that really struggle with getting a task list or focusing on what actually matters within their day. And they can wind up sort of burning themselves out quite quickly within, within an async environment. So having sort of watched that, I think there, there's a balance factor. I don't think it will be the new norm. But I do think that there will be a lot of companies that will adapt either entirely or to some degree, a lot of the the sort of aspects of it. There's definitely challenges around it. There's challenges in, in where it is. Obviously, there's sync elements to every week or every two weeks or whatever it is that that somebody's working on. That's my view. Anyway, I, I don't think it's going to be everywhere. I think it will be in some places. Do you think globalization is kind of like a requirement for it? I mean, frankly, that this is an, an international company and it makes the most sense, but I struggle with believing if you know, uh, I'm in Virginia. If I had a local job here based here, if it's even really as necessary. Yeah, probably Yeah, nearly a decade, decade ago. It was the first time that I was really exposed and jumped directly into sort of a full, full-blown remote company, which was very, very close. It was all results driven, uh, slightly different focus because it was all based in sort of hours and, and billable hours. But what was interesting there and in that environment is that the way that I hired or the way that I considered who we were placing into the team was the best fit for that, no matter where they were. And I think that in some ways that 
that starts to open up a lot of doors. I think, sure, there's the stuff that, you know, the camaraderie within a company as it grows, being able to see somebody, being able to, to interact, have a coffee, go for a barbecue, lunch, or whatever it is, that makes a massive difference, you know, and uh, that can be great for the sort of mental health within a team. But in the same breath, if you are full global, async makes perfect sense. And it also allows companies to then choose and work with the best talent that's out there and say, hey, we need you. You're amazing. Let's get, you know, doesn't matter when you work. If you work at 2 a.m., that's cool. You have one of the longest histories in this same field of, you know, development, engineering, programming. You have the longest history, one of, in the same field among all the guests that I've I've had on the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I have somebody on my team who has more experience than me. <laughs> So that's uh, that's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, it even goes back. We were joking about the show. I mean, it even goes back to getting a job right out of college as as a flash programmer back in 1999, and, and a lot of engineers before Adobe bought it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a lot of uh, engineers and, and software people probably get a, get a chuckle out of that because that that feels on brand. But my question, Lee, is what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen? in your 24 years of experience in this industry and follow up what do you project as being the biggest change going forward anything within within this space cuz you know when i started out it wasn't building for the web the web was my little hobby it was you know mirc chat rooms and aim and pirated content and all the rest of that in the, in the very very early exploration days but web was almost hobbyist just like oh you have to have a website yeah whatever that's going to happen in time uh, so a lot of it was was true engineering in the early years, and then all of a sudden the web exploded, and we saw all the technology sort of you know come to the forefront and start evolving. Whether it was you know the .dot nets and then into the PHP days, which I was massive into, uh, early days of open source stuff of democratizing content was a major change. You know, it changed everything from these sort of enterprise systems into open source democratized platforms for the web to be built on. Uh, at that point, I really did step away from a lot of the integrated engineering stuff where it was all about hardware and it was all about what you could control with the tools around it. I've lived through a couple of those changes where it went from very much the licensed products to open source products, um, self-hosted open source products, infrastructure, to the sort of rise of cloud and SaaS offerings, um, which which have all been major evolutions within within the ecosystem. You know, one of the big ones for me. I'm a big supporter of the JavaScript ecosystem. I've been sort of involved in the Node ecosystem and React ecosystem from the early days. But that was a major pivot because I almost ditched everything I knew beforehand, whether it was you know CNET and PHP and and all you know even Java. Basically, that was a, a major change, and I think that that really was a big hit. You know, I was sort of think back to like 2012, 2013-ish, major change in, in what people were building, how interactive websites were. Suddenly this rise of web apps that felt reactive, that felt like, you know, there was something to it. And they're just the norm for us now. We don't even think about what they are. And I think that was that was a major paradigm shift. Probably at, at this point, I think it's been riding a lot of that just into the SaaS space, into the cloud ecosystem and, and the democratization of what you can do as quickly as you can do it. Payments, payment infrastructure opened a lot of that up early days, 
you know, it was a pain for us to get black box authorization into banks to do credit card payments and all the rest of it. Now it's, you don't even think about it. It's just a sign into service and off you go. To sort of answer the second part of that, of where do I see this all going? I personally believe that we're at a major watershed within what we do as a whole. And that's probably going to be driven by AI at this stage. You know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of a lot of the tooling that's coming out, a lot of the, the areas that people are being pushed into. Obviously, I have the concerns. I have the security concerns. I have the authenticity, the all the rest of it of, of data. But the way I view it now is that this ecosystem and how we do things is going to change drastically and much faster than we think it would. I'm not talking five years. I think it's going to take less than that of just, you know, fundamental shifts, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's the expected interfaces through a a line out at a a sort of speaking event a little while ago, which is, you know, is the future of e-commerce an online store or is it a conversation? In in the back of my mind, I I sort of said it flippantly, but it's reflected on me a number of times because I really do view the, the expectation that we're heading into at this point is just so drastically different to what we've done in the past and potentially what it could get to. So in my mind, as far as engineering and and sort of dev going forward is going to be adapting to what those expectations are and what becomes the expected interfaces across the board. That's really well thought out answer. And look, I just to comment, I would agree in the AI space, but I think it's really interesting now because easy press and the not ease of able to make some of these tools and softwares but I think people, companies are very quick to just go first to market without really putting anything out that is extremely quality. If I'm being transparent, a lot of people are like, oh, no one's really thought of putting, you know, AI voice generated stuff or AI, you know, moving images. And everyone's just like, we can be the first one. And frankly, I, it, not all of it impresses me. And even stuff that is as simple as not simple, but copywriting, editing, and, and and different stuff like that, that is extremely useful, still has bugs and still needs to be fixed. And I, I worry that that rush to market is just going to create a surge of um, an industry that is entirely too bloated and competitive right out the gate. Now, you'd probably know better than me that the strongest will survive. It, it, it's pretty doggy dog out there. But I'm just worried what your thoughts on that are. I sort of like I equated back and I, I said, you know, when I've seen major shifts, like one of the major shifts I really saw was the push towards like uh, SaaS based products. At that point, it was just this massive arms race. So, well, there's nobody that's got a SaaS that, I don't know, walks your dog or something. Um, you know, let's build one. But actually, they rushed it to market and they couldn't walk a dog with something, right? And that I, I think I've seen this before. It, it is always just the, hey, it's an arms race. We're going to get something out there. Some of them, some will survive and some won't. I think AI has opened a lot of doors, probably more than what would have been existing previously in like the SaaS races, et cetera. And we, we are seeing products that shouldn't go to market that are too early. I think there's a lot of excitement around it because it's new, it's 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 different. A lot of people can't believe what it can do. I think it's kind of novel. It's, and it can be novel, cheap right? tricks every now and then. So like we, we're getting a lot, a lot of that and we, we've also got the value aspects behind it. You know, I mean, ChatGPT just blew the doors off everyone. Nobody else was ready for them to drop their, their product as wide as they did. And all of a sudden it's AI everything, you know? And you look at somebody like MidJourney, I mean, their image creation stuff is amazing, like really, really powerful. But then there's a whole bunch of other ones that aren't particularly as uh, even remotely in the same space. So I think there's always going to be that shuffle up. My biggest concerns don't come down to a bloated ecosystem. 
the strong will survive. And that is, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way of the world, right? But the bit which worries me more so is the sort of data security uh, you briefly touched on, you know, stuff being wrong or the hallucinations within things. I mean, we see it within code editing when we, we're testing something with AI and it'll recommend a library that just doesn't exist. Um, it should exist, but it doesn't exist. I think we've got we've got a couple of different different sides to that, which, which worry me more from a, a sort of my personal context is the security of what's going in there. Where is it getting stored? Is it getting indexed? Are you handing out company IP secrets that could be used nefariously or or are we pushing into something else? In the long run is is additional security as what what is being written? Is there any ethics uh built into to AI? And I personally was looking at the sort of ecosystem or the engineering space or the product space. And I, I kind of view the two biggest growth, growth growth areas probably going forward is going to be security and AI, and then probably the ethics of AI into, into business and into integration, because I think they're, they're both very, very hot topics that are going to only start to show their true impact as impacts uh, the general population as a whole. The rest of it is just an arms race to get great tools out there. And that's just capitalism 101. No, and I, I think that's an inspired answer. I mean, the early days of the internet was essentially the wild, wild west before they they accounted for security and ethics. So I, I think the best way to predict the future is to look at the past. And I think you're pretty spot on there. I think that's well said, Lee. The final question I have for you is the same final question I give to all my guests. And that essentially boils down to the fact that e-commerce professionals and entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs are operating 24 7, 365, constantly on call, um, which can exacerbate some, I don't know, mental faculties, honestly. What sort of hobbies and interests do you do in your free time to establish a good mental health and a work life harmony that is less stress induced? Area which I think about massively and something I'm pretty passionate about. Having come off the back of many years of trying to figure out why I was roughly depressed, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I have lots of hobbies. I am ADHD to the max. I have been my entire life unmedicated. So I generally will learn something, hyper-focus on it, get really into it. And I have lots of them and I rotate through them. So that's how I, I sort of get get into it. So whether that's playing uh, guitar or mu- music production, fly fishing, I, I tend to try and hit a river. When, whenever I'm feeling that point where I'm like, I just need the time now, it's been exacerbating. I need to unswitch or like just literally unplug. I'll hit a river and you'll find me in waders somewhere very, very far away from people. And then, you know, other things that are along the same same mindset of, you know, hiking. I try to get a hiking a couple of times a month and just explore somewhere that I haven't been and use that time to unpack the complete clutter of that life, which I think is is one of the biggest like mental health drains is that there's just so much going on and your mind's thinking about so much all the time continually. And it doesn't stop. Yeah, And it doesn't stop. And sometimes it, it, you need to get to that point where there is a bit of quiet space. And, you know, for me, hiking works for that. And in terms of my day-to-day sort of general hobbies and, and health, I Took up running a couple of months ago, which uh, which I yeah had never ever thought I would run from anything but like a bear or a lion or whatever. That's kind of become my my go to, whether it's you know a five k or a ten k after work. I've just okay, my day's done. All of the chaos is there. Yes, there's stuff that still needs to be handled, but I will make sure that I find that time and find that space every day to just try and recenter down and try and bring priority to the chaos because I think that's the first stage 
is just finding that priority of what do you actually have to do? Do that. And then the rest will fall in line as they need to. That's my sort of approach. It's easier to do that the quieter it gets. The quieter it gets. And so I, I think it is that. It's it's finding that space, throwing you throwing your headphones on and just getting lost in a little bit and then, you know, aligning everything down to, hey, this is what I actually need to focus on and get going. That's beautiful, man. Well, Lee, I really appreciate the thoughtful conversation and thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, man. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank my guest, Lee Barnes, for joining me on the show and come back on Tuesday when I talk with Derek Vidal, the founder of a social media consulting firm called Social Bamboo and the host of the Social Bamboo podcast. For more information about Lee, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. And to learn more about 8, you can check out their websites, weare8.com, or you can follow their YouTube channel at 8themes with the numbers 2095 at the end. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then. Thank you.